And now, Cherise and everybody else, I am now going to read the winning short story, Murillo Spilotta, by Cherise Saywell. It was dark when we stopped, and though it wasn't yet late, already the road felt endless. I suppose I was grateful for the snake at first. It lay on the gravel near the edge of a field, and the priest braked hard as soon as he saw it. He shut off the engine and got out, and I got out too, wondering if now was time to run. We'd been driving for nearly an hour. By my estimation, we should have reached the town, but I couldn't tell where we were. In the light of the headlamps, you could see the neat wheel shape of the snake, the terrible coils, fat and still. There was blood on its side, and I was surprised it was red. I'd expected, I don't know, green or yellow, something more reptilian. The priest scratched his head. He had a beaky nose and rounded shoulders, and although he wasn't old, I couldn't tell his age. In the dim-lit dirt, our footprints were visible, trailing among some roadside litter, shredded plastic, glint of broken glass. Dead, you reckon, he said. Maybe, I said, checking for cars. Nothing at all. Not since we turned off the main highway and into this quiet road. I've been looking for signs, but there were none. Doesn't smell like it, he said. Not yet. It had dropped fast in this heat. Might be fresh dead. He'd spoken so little on the road. He'd not even asked my name. Now he talked like he was playing a part. I was hitching on my own again. I was taking some getting used to. Until recently, I'd gone about with a man called Lester, who was older than me and drank a lot. He took a bit of managing, but for a while it was worth it, not having to get into cars on my own. I was the kind of girl who would disappear and no one would notice. There was a lot of arable along these roads, wheat and sugar cane, beans, inland for cotton, north for soft fruit. There was plenty of work for someone like me, and for cash too. You didn't need an address to get paid. I'd noticed, coming through the year before, how the people around here liked to observe the roadkill. They'd pull over and get out to check if the animal was dead. They might turn it over with the end of their shoe. If it had a pouch, they'd see if there was anything in it. You'd get a list of the things they'd seen. A wallaby with its skull crashed flat. A wombat with a bloodied snout and a chidna with half its spines plucked out, taken for souvenirs, most likely. Looks like roadkill, I said. I waited for the details of his roadside finds. But there was a strange, empty pause, and when I looked, the priest was tapping his forehead, watching the ground. Not necessarily. It might have come through the field. He pointed into the darkness, in which case, it wouldn't have got as far as the road. He indicated the dirt round where the snake lay. You can't tell, he said. No trail. He leaned right in, examining his own fresh footprints. The strangest thing. It's like it came from nowhere. He scanned the area around the snake 
and then he looked up into the black sky, as if assessing the likelihood of its arrival by that route. This was probably, I was probably relieved at the attention the priest was giving to the snake. He had he ill intentions towards me, he'd likely be getting on with things by now. Still, I was nervous. I, I wonder what kind it is, I said. Morelia spilotta, he said with some authority. Carpet snake, he clarified. They don't bite. I knew this, but it didn't mean the creature was harmless. And in any case, a snake could be a great pretender. The elaborate patterns of the poisonous kind might be perilously close to one much more benign. It was safer to be afraid of the lot of them. We should just leave it, I said. But the priest continued to study the dirt around the snake. He was muttering. His lips moved silently around something I couldn't make out, and I wondered if he was a little crazy. When you're hitching alone and you get in a car, you learn what to look for. Only I'd been with Lester too long. I was out of practice. I'd seen black cloth, a cross, a square white collar, or maybe this man's collar was cut out of card, his shirt adapted from something plain and black from Woolworths. It was about 30 miles back that I got in his car. My bag still lay on the back seat where I'd flung it. The priest knelt near the snake and pressed his hands in the dirt. He examined the indentation it left. He placed both hands there and looked again. Then he stood up and checked the trail his shoes had left between the edge of the gravel where the car was parked and the loose, dry dirt where the snake lay. He brushed his hands together and turned at me. We're going to take this snake with us, he announced. I tried to read his face to see what game he might be playing or if he genuinely believed, in a sane reason, to load a snake into the back of his car. After all, it might not even be dead. The blood on it could be surface wound from sliding over something sharp, a farm tool or a curled-over lid of a can. And venomous or not, many a snake will drive its coils tight round a person's neck. Open the boot, said the priest. There's nearly always somewhere to run to, so long as you're safe out of the car. But you need to know if running alone into those aching miles of darkness is the better risk. I stood there half decided until the priest came over and opened the boot himself. He was thin and not especially tall, and I thought I could probably escape him if necessary, though you can't always judge a man's strength by his size. He went back now, and he bent down, and he took that snake in his arms. Its coils seemed to loosen, and I wondered if it was dead after all. A neat round depression remained on the soft dirt where it had laid. The priest deposited the snake in the boot of the car. The interior light made its patterns uncertain, its color sallow and strange. I turned and searched in the direction from which we'd come. The rough forms of ragged-edged hills pitched up from the flatness. The uncertain horizon dissolved in places into an inky sky. I wanted a set of headlamps or any kind of light that might indicate I wasn't marooned out there with a deranged priest and a snake in questionable health. I half lifted my arm as if by doing so I might conjure a vehicle. 
The priest must have noticed. His arm still rested against the lid of the boot. There was nothing along this stretch of the road, he said, with some authority. Not at this time of night. He turned and smiled blandly. In the low light, he appeared quite young, perhaps not even 30. I'm afraid I'm your best bet, he added. Go on, get in. But I wouldn't do it. Not with that snake, I said. The priest checked his cargo. Python, he corrected. Carpet python. Morelia spilotta. He closed the boot. Not venomous, he said. I chewed on the inside of my lip for a moment, considering. But you're not sure, I said. You're no expert. In fact, I bet it's the only kind of snake you know. There was a pause. Only a brief one. But it was a pause enough for me. Then the priest said, that's not true. Go on then, I challenged him. Name another. He didn't hesitate. Sudecus porphyriacus, he said. Red-bellied black snake, venomous. Pseudonongia textilis, eastern brown snake, poisonous but rather plain looking. Acanthopis antarcticus, he hissed the S, common death adder. He turned his head a little, raising his eyebrows. I still couldn't tell if he was mad or just weird, or if this whole thing was a prelude to something else altogether. He folded his arms, chanted, Nauticus scutatus, mainland tiger snake, extremely venomous, he said, like he was making a promise. He clicked open the boot again. Beautifully patterned, he added, looking a little too long at the snake lying in his car, perhaps making sure, but differently marked to this creature. He checked the place where the snake had lain as if to reassure himself. Shall I continue? I kept my voice level. No, I said. You could go on and on. They're all just snakes as far as I'm concerned. I measured the distance between us. And I'm not getting in the car with one. I'm just not, I said. The priest held himself perfectly still for a moment. And then he opened the passenger door and reached into the glove compartment. And my legs went to jelly. It was just cigarettes he was after. He offered me one. I shook my head and he frowned and took one himself and then tossed the pack through the window into the front of the car. Only he did this awkwardly, as if he was aware of his brain sending each individual signal to his limbs and did not trust that they would obey. He lit his cigarette and inhaled and I observed how deeply he drew back and I saw that he needed it. Scrutinizing his half-less face, I said, you don't behave like any priest I've ever met. I've no idea what you're talking about, he huffed. Well, I said, picking up girls like me for one thing. I didn't pick you up, he said hotly. I offered you a lift. Call it what you like, I said. I've done nothing wrong, the priest protested. But you want to, I said. And you're a long way out of town to be alone with a girl like me. I folded my arms. People around here might be interested to hear about your night rides with hitchhikers. The priest held himself perfectly still. Can I have a cigarette now? For a moment he didn't move. His face was shrouded and I couldn't tell what he might do. And then he went back to the car and fussed about in it, in the semi-darkness, retrieving the packet. He held it out to me. 
His hand was shaking. I took one and he offered me a light, but I said no thank you and I put the cigarette in the pocket of my t-shirt. I didn't want to smoke. I just wanted to watch him fetch me one and I wanted him to understand this. Something came over him then and I did not anticipate the speed of it. He seized the back of my t-shirt, the thin fabric and my bra strap too were bunched tightly in his grip and he handled me round the back of the car and when I was before the snake, he prodded the air above with the fingers that still held the cigarette. It will only hurt us if we let it, he said. Touch it, go on. The snake lay perfectly still and the priest's grip on me did not loosen. It seemed best simply to do as I'd been told, so I put my hand out and I touched that snake. And although it felt slippery, it was not smooth in a way I expected. The patterns on the animal's skin were like something embossed in cool, polished leather. My fingers came away dusty and I wiped them on my shorts. But right then, at that very moment I did this, the snake flicked its tongue and gently, almost imperceptibly, it drew its coils in on itself. The priest about jumped out of his body. You can let me go now, I said. I wasn't sure if he would, but he did. So I said, now it's your turn. But I've already touched it, he protested. I just carried it to the car. He was unsettled, but it wasn't enough for me. I wanted the pleasure of making him do something he didn't want to. When you thought it was dead, I taunted. Are you afraid? A man of God shouldn't be afraid. I said a man of God like someone who knew better. At this, the priest threw down his spent cigarette. I have nothing to fear, he announced, and he swished his hand along the length of the snake. It was done with a flourish, like a performance, to demonstrate fearlessness, I suppose, though he might simply have wished to better my tentative prod. In any case, he must have moved too quickly, because at that very moment, he swept his hand over the snake suddenly, and without warning, it lifted its head, and in a brief, darting movement, it speared itself at his fingers, then sank back into its own shape. It may have even hissed. The whole thing was so fleeting, I'd have wondered if it had happened at all, except that the priest screamed, clutching his hand. Oh, God, he moaned. His face was like wax. A fine, dark lacework of blood patterned the skin of his finger. He sank to the dirt at the back of the vehicle. The still air seemed to massage the darkness. The outline of a nearby ridge leaked into the sky. I stood over the priest and moved my sandal feet about in the loose gravel at the edge of the tarmac. I was caught somewhere between triumph and contempt. I thought you said it wasn't venomous, I smirked. The priest didn't answer. His breath came fast and shallow in the hot, still night. I prodded him with my foot. If it's not venomous, how come you're poisoned? He cradled his injured hand. His eyes moved, but nothing else. He raised them to mine. There was no trail, he said. How could that be? He lowered his eyes. I was merciless. Are we far from town, I demanded. Half an hour, maybe, he murmured. It was half an hour from where you picked me up, I said, and we'd been driving a good deal longer than that. The priest seemed to tip a little to the side. His head drooped. Yes, he said, I know. 
I shouldn't have brought you this way. A drop of blood fell to the dirt, and in the flat, strained light, it was the wrong colour. I squatted beside him. I smoothed my hand over the fine hairs on my arms, and I watched him. I just can't work out how it got there, he said. It doesn't really matter now, does it? I folded my arms. He sniffed and angled his bony shoulder so he could scratch at his cheek with it. But did you see the size of it, he said weakly. And no trail. No trail. It's not possible. But that's not why you stopped, is it, I said. I don't know why I stopped, the priest replied. And I saw that this was true. Well, I said dryly, you shouldn't have put that snake in your car. I just wanted someone to see, he said. Who? Anyone? He slumped. They like to look at things like that round here. They like to look at roadkill, I said. They don't care what it's called in Latin. The priest leaned back and closed his eyes slowly, as if he was shutting them from everything he'd ever hoped for. His forehead and his neck were damp with perspiration. The light that leaked from the interior of the car caught the shine of it. Without opening his eyes, he whispered, they probably wouldn't look at anything I showed them anyway. My stomach did a sort of flip-flop. How young he looked, not 30. That, that old? At that moment, he didn't look even 20. He seemed younger than me. His hair was damp and curled around his forehead. He plucked at the white rectangle of his collar as if he might stop pretending if he'd only take it off. But he was shaking too much, so he gave up and let his hand rest in his lap. He tipped his head back and swallowed, and shadows shifted over his skin. I imagined him propped up against the bumper, skin blue and marbled. Or maybe he'd tip over in the dirt as his strength drained away. I wondered who would stop for him, or if anyone would. Where might I be by then? I heard myself speak, and I could have been someone else. My voice was so thin and so cautious. You were probably right, though, I said. It doesn't look deadly. Maybe I could draw off some of the venom. The priest seemed to have sunk even further into himself. I don't know how, he said. I waited. He waited a moment. You don't see many snakes where I am from, he added. Where I'm from, I told him, there are plenty, but we don't pick them up. I got onto my knees, and I put his finger in my mouth, tasting the tang of the blood and the tar of the fag. I thought I should taste something else, too, something poisonous, sour, bright, yellow, I imagined, or milky and bitter. But when I drew from the wound, there was only blood and an angled edge, sharp and foreign. I released his hand. Ah! I ran my tongue along the roof of my mouth. Then I ran my finger over his injury, and I felt it again, long enough to pinch out easily. Glass. It must have been lodged in the skin of the snake. Gently, I prized it loose. Look, I said, holding the fragment up in the light. You've not been bitten at all. I lifted the hem of my shirt and used it to clean his finger. And then I held that up too. See? I can't explain what happened next. 
except that the colour returned to his face, and there was something in his expression, like he'd found a thing he'd given up for lost. And I wanted a bit of that. He laughed. And I laughed with him. And then, without missing a beat, even without thinking, I put his finger back in my mouth. The priest shifted abruptly, straightening his legs. Pressing his knees together, he pushed me away. Then he was on his feet. He turned and he was wiping his hands on his trousers, brushing dust off his shirt. And I felt as if he was already far away from me, accelerating along a slip road that would take him fast into his future. Whatever he might have wanted when he picked me up, he no longer did. Whatever he had hoped for, or not admitted he wanted, but half hoped for anyway, something had shifted, a new kind of something had replaced it. And I felt inside me an absence, an emptiness, the same as when Lester had fallen, rotten with drink by the roadside, his vodka meth scent, the heat of the sun. I'd hoped we'd be on our way north, where there were mangoes waiting to be picked and wrapped in squares of tissue, then gently laid in flacked wooden crates and shipped south. I'd hoped we'd get there quick enough to bag the best accommodation. I'd imagined us in a room, not a tent, with a bed and a cotton sheet to go over us both, and a window that looked away from the road and maybe onto some trees. But it had been a foolish thing to hope for. Right then, out of the darkness came bright lights, a heavy rising tumble and a semi-trailer hefted past. The car rocked with the force of the air the truck took with it and the night whirled around us. The priest coughed as dust flew about and he adjusted his collar. He put his hand up, perhaps to acknowledge that everything was okay, that we hadn't broken down, that we were merely being observing a roadkill. I watched the silty cloud billying into the footprints and sinking into the place where the snake must have lain while the vehicles passed and the dust rose and fell, erasing the trail that the creature had left. I thought about how the priest had pushed me off and how soon I would be getting in and out of cars with people who might want to talk to me, who might want to hurt me, or who might not even notice me. Just let me out after 20 miles later and forget I'd ever existed. I wrapped my arms around myself. The priest was pressing at his finger where the glass had pierced him. He sighed and walked over to me. And maybe he noticed what the dust had done to the prints in the dirt. I don't know. But he leaned in and he touched my face and he stroked my hair. And I saw that he didn't want to take his hand away, but he did. And after that, he went to the boot of his car and placed both arms beneath the snake and lifting it gently, almost tenderly, he carried it over to the gravel and through the dirt beyond the place where he'd found it to the edge of the field where he sat it, set it down. We should go now, he said, when he was done. Yes, I replied. We got in the car. He spoke little. Though at one point he asked my name and I told him and he told me his. He whistled as we drove us, he drove us through until we reached the cotton farm where I'd heard there was work. There he thanked me for my company and gave me a crisp new banknote before we parted. And he said to save it 
so I could travel by bus when I was ready to move on. Would you like to join us?